Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics. For today's episode, I was able to get someone that got me seriously impressed when I was doing the podcast fellowship program that eventually resulted in this podcast. Alistair Planbeck spent the first six years of his professional career in San Diego's startup scene, managing several businesses where he eventually became the general manager of an international multi-million dollar portfolio of online businesses. In 2015, for reasons we might hear shortly here, his life completely went into a different direction, which included quitting his very lucrative career, breaking up a long-term relationship, and many other things. So off he went to travel the world, and right now he lives a quite an interesting life. So with that said, welcome, Alastair. Thank you, Letty. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to have you on the show. Um, we mentioned this before, but uh, some of you that have followed the podcast have heard uh, Alastair Fiance and almost wife in a few days, Julie Roxanne, on an earlier episode. So this, for me, completes the vision of the amazing things the two of you are doing and very inspiring way of living life. And uh, I'm very excited to have you here. I'm excited to ask you the very first question, which is, tell me about your childhood. I assume you are from San Diego? San Jose, actually, originally. So I grew up in the Bay Area. Uh, I moved down to San Diego for college later. I think I could sum up my childhood as privileged. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I grew up in a, it was a upper middle class family, but my dad had a, a good job in the tech industry. Uh, he recently actually just retired. And we kind of, we, we moved so I was born in 87, so we kind of experienced You're so young, whole... you made me. <laughs> oh, my God. You had to throw that in there, right? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, so we experienced a lot of that kind of 90s optimism and boom in the Bay Area as the tech industry really got underway. So I had a pretty happy childhood in, in a lot of ways. Although, you know, if I go to a psychologist, he might not say so. But... <laughs> but um, uh, it was a small family, so it was my mom, my dad, and my brother was our, our nuclear family. And uh, I think I spent half my time in public school and half my time in private school, and I would say it went pretty well. I think having listened to your podcast in the past, one of the things that, that I'll mention that came up for me and that I think was kind of the first love of my life, if you mm -hmm. could say that, was or first passion at least, and kind of introduced me to what passion really could mean was volleyball. I was into sports my whole life and in high school I got really involved in volleyball. I started competing on a national level and was the captain of my high school team and all this and this was one thing that it was the first thing where I couldn't not do it. I spent almost all my waking time outside of school playing volleyball, trying to convince people to play volleyball. Uh, <laughs> just it, I was I loved it. And that kind of left me with a pretty happy childhood memory. 
That's great. And and besides that, which sounds exciting, I love volleyball. Was it only like regular or were, did you have a chance to do beach since you were in California? I'm yeah, curious. I play I played beach recreationally and I played indoor more competitively. That's awesome. That's awesome. And in terms of like what you wanted to do, like what you would envision yourself doing as a grown up, you know, it's a typical question is like, what do you want to be when you're a grown up? What was usually <laughs> your answer? Uh, I hated that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I, I think most of us do. That's why I'm bringing it up. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't think I had a good answer. And this is actually one of the regrets of my earlier life is how I dealt with that question. Late into high school, so junior, senior year, and then all the way through college, I kind of decided to not really answer the question. I think it overwhelmed me. So I kind of just went where things were taking me. I ended up going to San Diego partly because there was a beach there <laughs> and mm -hmm. partly because my girlfriend from high school was also going there. And I started getting involved in partying, drinking, drugs, and this kind of stuff. And San Diego State was a great place for that. I definitely got a major in partying along with, with my finance major. And so I, I think I really decided kind of not to answer that question for a while. I, I was good with numbers. I was motivated by money. So I just started going down the business path because it just seemed to make the most sense. And I got a finance degree without really ever having a clear idea of what a career in finance really was going to require from me or really a, a real desire to like work on Wall Street or, or something like that. Uh, and I'm curious, Lisa, because you mentioned your dad was working in the tech industry at that early stage. So he was one of the pioneers. Did your parents had any input at all in, in what you ended up studying? Yeah. Uh, yeah, my parents definitely did, especially my dad. And, and more kind of, I would say it wasn't direct. I mean, I do remember one time my dad saying he thought I'd grow up to be an executive or something like that. And that's still lodged in my brain. So I guess that probably directed me a bit. But my dad taught me from a very early age how to handle money. When I was six or seven, I had started my first business. Basically, I stole all the uh, cleaning materials out of my parents' garage. Mm -hmm. I got a few of my friends in the neighborhood and I went door to door selling car washes. We would wash cars for $4, not including the roof because we couldn't reach it. And <laughs> that was, that works. And we'd make a fair amount of money that way. And it later evolved into other kind of enterprises. I would do garage sales. I was always trying to find, you know, uh, I would work for the neighbors, whatever odd jobs I could find. And in high school, I started getting really good at poker and I started holding like poker games, all night poker games in my garage and my friends. So I never so had to hold a job. you were entrepreneurial, I would say. Entrepreneurial. Early. Yeah, yeah. And and one other thing that really, I think, set me on the finance path was my dad simulated the stock market with me. So I think I was eight or nine and I was buying shares of stocks through my dad. My dad was the market, but he really got me comfortable with that idea. And he taught me how to manage money. I had an allowance from an early age and all these things got me very money conscious and fairly passionate about managing money, I think. Great. No, that's very interesting. I, I always find it, and I guess why I'm motivated by this podcast is the path of each one of us to become what we 
become or are becoming, it's so different and the triggers are so different. So you end up in business school, which is not a bad thing. I always say I didn't want to study business neither. I wanted to be a lawyer, but somehow my dad brainwashed me in, in a nice way. I never felt like, oh, he's forcing me, but he was masterful. I'm telling you, I tell him you are the master of, of brainwash in a way where you end up thanking him, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah, but yeah. I was brainwashed into business, but now I tell the young people or younger people, I say, you know, it's, these are skills that are never going to hurt because you, as you say, you, you have to manage money in your life. You have to, even in your household. So you end up studying business and, and going into the tech world, ironically enough, which is something your dad was seeing. So it's in a way you kind of follow that path for six years for what you share. You were very successful. So when I get into, I mean, of course, share anything that you feel is important from the years of being successful and making it in the corporate world. And then what happened in your life that you totally did a 360 on it and went into a very different path? Yeah. So I think the failures are always a lot more interesting than successes. So we can pretty much skip my early successes, except for I will say I wasn't actually in the corporate world. I was in kind of it was the entrepreneurial world and it was the very, it was the bootstrapped startup world. So I started with a company that was barely making enough money to pay me. And by the end, we were fairly successful for our goals, which was we were making a few million dollars a year as a company. And this was very much based on, if you're familiar with Tim Ferriss, he wrote a book called The 4-Hour Workweek, which was pretty revolutionary when it came out. And the owners of the business that I first went to work for had left their corporate jobs and started their business using that as a manual. So that was the type of business it was. Oh, and exciting, exciting. And, and also, you know, the fact that you went from creating something from zero to having a very successful business definitely explains a lot of what you guys are trying to do now in this stage of your life. But I, I don't want to jump ahead. So yeah, so it was kind of a boot camp. It was really stressful, but I learned a lot. So I think I'm very grateful for the experiences I had, but they came at a pretty high price. So about six years in, this was back in 2015, a couple things happened. They all happened within a year. So I kind of think of them as happening together, but they happened in order. And the first was I decided to leave my job. I'd always been motivated by a job that would allow me to learn and grow. And I was kind of seeing the writing on the wall that that my job was going to be more of a manager going forward. And uh, I wasn't very interested in that. So it took a lot for me because at that age, I think I was 26. And I had basically realized a goal that a lot of people spend a good portion of their lives going after, which is I was making a lot of money. I was kind of the boss, quote unquote. And I had a very flexible lifestyle. I could travel. I could do whatever but it was also very high stress, like I said. So I decided to walk away from that and join a, a friend on a business venture that was closer to my heart. At the same time, I traveled to Peru and I did a three-day ayahuasca retreat there, which you know, in, in Silicon Valley and in, in California is kind of in vogue these days. And, and if I may jump here, because I don't know what that is and maybe someone listening doesn't uh -huh. know. Can uh -huh. you briefly explain what? Ayahuasca is a... It's a plant. Or it's kind of a brew of plants that's psychoactive and it's native to South America. So it's a, a plant that's used by shamans and has been for hundreds of years, probably millennia. 
So I went down to Peru and as part of a larger kind of trip, I spent three days with a local Quechua tribe and uh, with, a, with a shaman did this ayahuasca ceremony, which was over two different nights. We took this like really bitter brew of this uh, hallucinogenic plant. And uh, well, after that, uh, things get a bit crazy. I had a what I would call is a, a spiritual kind of awakening from that and just realized that a lot of things in my life were off kilter and going the wrong way. And that experience has really stuck with me ever since. It's kind of been, I would say, kind of a myth for me that I that I look back on and kind of motivates it, a lot of my decisions. So, I, so that it, it is a source of, of uh, power or energy when you go yeah. back into that memory. Yeah, it's a new story. I think it gave me a new way to think about my life and about the story I was telling about my life and the story I wanted to tell. So in that way, it was really powerful. So that happened. <laughs> and then over the course of you know the next year, my business partnership pretty much unraveled. I broke off a long-term relationship. I think we've been together for about three years, romantic relationships. So this was separate. And all of a sudden... I realized I was practicing Zen at the time. This was new because I had come back from Peru and like my kind of third eye had kind of opened. And so I was starting to look for answers or at least someone who could help me in that direction. So I was starting to practice Zen at a local Zendo. And I remember, <laughs> I remember in those, while practicing Zen, you have Dysons, which are these like one-on-ones with uh, your teacher. And I remember telling my teacher what was going on, and she, she said, you know, there are existential crises, and there are midlife crises, they're different things, and it looks like you're here because you're having both. Oh, wow. <laughs> Lucky <laughs> and you. I, yeah, and, and I was, I really was. And so I sold everything. I realized I don't have a girlfriend or a job. Those were the two things keeping me in place. I no longer had either. I decided to get away. So there's one other thing I, I forgot to mention that was really major to this too, is I was also at this time diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. I was struggling with depression, chronic fatigue, and a lot of anxiety. And I hadn't been taking care of my body very well uh, for the last, like I said, I had been partying at San Diego State and a lot of those habits die hard. And I was diagnosed and one of the realizations from being diagnosed with that was that I was going to have to take medication probably for the rest of my life. And one of the reliefs was like, okay, there's not something, or there's something wrong with me, but that something has a name and it's not just me. It's not that I just can't cope in this world. I have a disorder. So that kind of also shook things up in a really major way. And so all that kind of led to me leaving the country. Uh, I sold my stuff, I gave away my apartment, I bought a one-way ticket, uh, I didn't have any plans, and I just left. Yeah, I, I think there are times where God or the universe or however it is that we like to call it, they make it quite hard on us, but quite easy in the sense that what you were going through is extremely difficult circumstances, but at the same time, it made very easy to make the decision. I went through something similar, so I can relate. And when all these things go totally wrong and you say, what else I have to do? And then leaving and selling everything and moving away doesn't seem like such a crazy thing. <laughs> no, in fact, looking back on it, I think it was a really smart decision. Although I wasn't rational at the time about it. Well, but you know, I'm confident to say that a lot of people go through experiences like that 
And instead of taking that prompt into probably acknowledging that maybe I need to change something or there's drastic change needs to happen, they kind of hold on to whatever similar uh, ways Mm. of living they know. And so they get back into a very dangerous way of living, which is, I I call it the automatic pilot way of living, where you just are on a bus and someone's driving it and you don't even know where you're going. You just know that you're on the bus and you're moving. Yeah, I totally agree. And I was doing that for a while. I think it was being diagnosed with a chronic disease that really took away that option uh, because I realized I was killing myself. Yeah, well, the health component definitely brings things to a new reality. So off you go to travel the world. And what was the destination? Uh, There were a lot of destinations. But the Uh, first one, (laughs) where's that that first first ticket you bought? The first one was grandma's house, actually. Ah, that's Uh, (laughs) great. That's a great destination. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So my mom's side of the family is British, Scottish, and Welsh. So uh, my grandma lives in England in a small village called Blagden in in the southwest. And I love it there. I consider it home. So that's the first place I went. I spent five weeks there with grandma, just getting to know her better and and, uh, spending time with her. And that was really kind of the jumping off point. And then I started going east, and uh, I kept going east through Europe, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, and I eventually ended up in India. And, you know, one of the things uh, that was really powerful around that time, and it took me about a year to get to India, was I was walking a lot. I discovered really quickly, actually my grandma, it was my grandma's idea. She had suggested, why don't you go up to Scotland? I'd never been, and my grandfather's Scottish. So I went up to Scotland and I decided to do a walk on the West Highland Way, which is a fairly famous walking route up there. And I loved it. It was incredible. I I love, there's so many things about walking that just like really light me up. And I just found it such a tool for self-discovery as well as exploring the world. I got to know myself so much better. You have a lot of time to spend with yourself. You're out in nature. I think walking on a path like that is such a great metaphor for the larger journey that's that's life. So I, I just fell in love with it. And I started looking for mountains everywhere I could to go do it. And that's kind of how I ended up in Asia because each set of mountains, I would talk to people there and they'd say, oh, you got to go here. You got to go to, you know, you got to go to uh, the Fagarash and the Carpathians in Romania. So I went there and they're, oh, you got to go to the Caucasus in Georgia. They're incredible. So I went there. And then eventually, if you do that long enough, you're going to end up in the Himalayas, which is, which is how I ended up in Asia. That is amazing. And, and in listening to you, I can tell, and now that I know a little bit more about your childhood, is that you definitely are someone, I think, that needs the challenge. So even if you're walking <laughs> in that path and you're like making this metaphor about life and you're walking, you, you are looking at the mountain because you need to keep challenged and you need to find something to climb, I think, for what I'm listening. And so you end up in the Himalayas. So tell me about that. That sounds so exciting. Yeah, so the Himalayas have definitely been one of the most incredible adventures of my life. I've spent two months. The first time I went there, I went into the Annapurna region. There's a circuit there with a lot of the tallest mountains in the world. And I walked around that (laughs) over the course of a month. And it's just phenomenal. And it's such a high to just, it's not only, you know, walking in the mountains and, and the physical challenge of it. It's what I, what I was realizing was it's being 
disconnected from everything and being like very connected to just what's going on around me and kind of pulling myself out of society, which on a bigger level is what traveling was doing for me at that stage of my life. And I, I was just in love with it and I was learning a lot about myself at the time. And uh, I loved it so much that I ended up going back. So I went to India for a while and that's actually where I met my fiance. We're getting married next week here in France. I'm so and excited about that. Uh, yeah, we're getting very excited. And uh, yeah, so we met in a small little town called Bundi in India. And basically, I had gone from Nepal on the east of India, and slowly I had gone all the way to the western border of India with Pakistan. And then I was coming back when I met her, and I was planning to go back to Nepal. And I convinced her to go with me she had never done any trekking before. And we went back and we ended up doing an even wilder trek through some of the lesser Himalayas in Nepal. Very remote, very not not a lot of visitors. And then we ended up on a more popular two-week route, which was up to Everest Base Camp and doing the three passes in that area. And so that was another month of trekking uh, in the Himalayas. Well, yeah, I've heard your Far Out podcast, which, by the way, anybody listening to this, you have to totally check out the podcast uh, Alistair and, and Julia Roxanne have called Far Out. The link will be on the show notes. But I've heard uh, in that podcast that you love to go off the beaten path <laughs> and <that> you <laughs> like to camp where there's no camping site. You like to yes. just go on, on the side of the road and camp. So I can totally imagine when you say this was like really, you know, isolated. I can only imagine because <laughs> I already heard some of the stories. It gets us in trouble sometimes. I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. But I want to make a, a little stop here and ask you something that maybe some of our audience is thinking about because all that you're saying sounds so exciting, but how were you financing all this traveling? Were you, when you left your job, was it comfortable enough that you had some savings and you were financing yourself through all this traveling? Or what were you doing to survive? Because I think people say, oh, I'd love to do that if I had the money. And they always put money as the problem. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you asked that, actually, because I think it's, a, it's actually something I'm spending a lot of time thinking about and working on with people. I'm now coaching people around personal finances. And that actually came out of how I financed a lot of this. So I was a finance major. I've always been money motivated. And I've always just seen money as a tool for freedom, which, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think it's very true. So I was very careful with my money. I think I had the benefit of, I had just come out of college. And so I remember Mark Cuban once saying like, when you, he had some advice for college grads and he said, just keep your expenses, act like you're still living in college and save all, all that money. And I did that and I developed a method, which now I teach about how to really be mindful and conscious with your finances. And I was, you know, on the other side of it, I was having a lot of success at a pretty young age. I was a general manager within two to three years after leaving college and I was getting paid pretty well. So, you know, nothing crazy. I mean, I walked away when I left my job, I was walking away from a very comfortable and what would have been, you know, six figure salary. So I just kind of saved money all the, all the way. And then when I did travel, I was very 
mindful about how I used it. I tend to not care a lot about material things and I'm happy, especially when I'm traveling. If I have food and a bed and a roof over my head, that's a good night and maybe my Kindle, <laughs> but that, that's about it. So um, no, That's great. And, and, and my point is, and, and also with Julie Roxanne, we've talked about it in, in a few of episodes of people I've had on the show, is I just want to make a point to whomever is listening out there, don't make money that factor that blocks you from getting to what you want to be doing in life because everything works out ultimately. And I think that these blockage we have with money thinking if we don't have that steady paycheck, we cannot go and pursue our dreams is, uh, is the wrong approach. And you see, and you hear from people like you and others, you know, that have gone out and say, you know what, I'm just going to do what I like. And things actually resolve themselves, even in the money department. I totally agree. And actually on that point, I have a short side story that, that I'll share here before we move on was I remember a moment when I was working as a general manager where I was looking at my bank account and the numbers were getting bigger and bigger. And I remember a moment where I just looked at the numbers, like really looked at them and they didn't mean anything anymore. I couldn't understand why I was trading 50, 60, sometimes 70 hours in my life and definitely every week and definitely, you know, the best parts of my day and, and my energy. Why was I, 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 I had this moment where it didn't make sense. It's like for a number on a screen that doesn't mean anything. And like, when is it going to be enough? And I, I, there was a moment like that for me where I just realized this is ridiculous and it's, it's dumb. And at the same time, I also had the experience pretty early on of diminishing returns. There's I don't know, there's studies about like, you know, how the link between happiness and money. And I think somewhere around $70,000, it peters off to pretty much it's marginal after that. And I had, I had experienced that firsthand. Yeah, I think, I think you hit something that it's uh, so true, which is when is it going to be enough? When do we have enough to live the life we want to live? and be happy about yeah. it. Me and my husband always have this conversation because we are both in the corporate world and very motivated and ambitious and and thank God we have a great life. But we also have that yearning, like you say, where I want to just go off the grid, out of you know <laughs> society, disconnected because I enjoy that very much. And it's empowering when you almost, I, like I enjoy being in, in, but I also enjoy being out. That's my struggle. And, uh, <laughs> and so to find that balance into, okay, what do we need to set up for the life we want? Because we're very clear that, especially when you have kids going off the grid is extremely challenging. So, but yeah. we're always, so now we find ourselves talking about, okay, when the kids are out of the house in a few, in like 10 years, <laughs> or 14 years, and we are already, you know, fantasizing about what we're going to do when it's just you and me and we can do anything we want and the kids are not under our responsibility anymore. So I'm excited for you guys that you're getting it to do it. And it's fantastic that you found someone that's exactly on the same path that you are in, because then you really can achieve so much more. Yeah, that was very lucky. I feel very, very grateful for that every day that I found Julie Roxanne. Well, I'm happy because you're getting married next week. So it's a good feeling to yeah. have right before you're getting married. <laughs> but so, so, you know, we move into your life now. So you have created a life that it's, I feel, more aligned with your passions. You live in a caravan, 
right now. So people that have heard Julie Roxanne talk about it, uh, you're welcome to give us your take on the life you and her have created. What excites you today? What are you excited about the future? Yeah, it's a very uncertain life at the moment. The caravan was just kind of an, I think it kind of stemmed for me from, I've always had this kind of, what would it be like? You know, I had that kind of dream like, oh, I wonder what it would be like if I lived on a farm or if if I did something very different than living in San Diego, working at a startup or something like that. And I think the caravan was kind of like that experiment. It's like, okay, well, what if we just buy a caravan, move it out into the woods and live out of it? Would we like that? Would it be interesting? So we were lucky enough to give it a shot. So we did. We bought a caravan about a year ago and spent three months over, over the course of the last year uh, renovating it and we're living in it full time. It's also an answer to like, we're not making an income and we hadn't been making, when I met Julie Roxanne, I'd been traveling for a year. Then we traveled together for another year and then we bought the caravan and that was a year ago. So now it's it's been like three years since I've kind of left. And, you know, I've made a couple bucks here and there doing kind of odd jobs or maybe one-off projects, but not a lot and definitely nowhere near close to sustain myself. So the caravan was a bit of an answer on like, okay, well, we had the feeling like, okay, traveling the way we are, we're getting a little bit, we're getting a little bit worn down. We wanted to find a way to start making longer term connections, kind of putting our roots down, I think intellectually and, and find, finding our people, like where our people are. We, we were definitely not wanting to go back, but we definitely felt like we needed to start finding a tribe or, or making one. And the caravan was kind of the first step on that. It's like, well, we need, we need an HQ. We need somewhere to be and it needs to be low cost. We don't want to pay rent. We don't want to pay a mortgage. It's pretty hard to, to come up with a solution that avoids both of those. And, and so far we've been lucky enough to do that. And it's really allowed us to do a lot of interesting things kind of on our own terms. Our expenses are pretty low and our runways is still modest and it's allowed us to really focus on what we want to do and some of that's been just kind of dumb luck. Uh, we joined the podcasting fellowship that Seth Godin offers with you, Letty, and that the idea there was to start our own podcast, which we did and we're enjoying. It's It's been a lot of fun, but something that came out of that is Julie Roxanne built a small podcast producing business. You're one of her clients and there, she has a few others happy on the back customer. of that. Just yeah. as a front, I'm one of the very happy customers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now we're starting to think more seriously about that because that's starting to bring in some money for us and we're enjoying it. We actually, and this is brand new, uh, we just hired someone. So we're hiring our first kind of employee for that side of the business. For me, things I've always been passionate about doing, or, or I shouldn't say always, I, I've been doing ever since I left is writing. So I write a blog. At, it's my name, alistairplanbeck.com. So I've focused a lot of energy toward that. And between the writing and the podcast, it's starting to lead to uh, coaching opportunities. Or I like to think of it more as being a guide with somebody, but basically working one-on-one with people and helping them in the areas of managing their personal finances, starting businesses, kind of taking the leap, quote-unquote, or making a big change in their life. Uh, That's extremely difficult but satisfying and and, uh, fulfilling work for me, and it's very challenging, so I enjoy it a lot. And uh, it fits my nature of 
working with people like one-on-one -on -one or in small groups. Uh, something else we're doing that's off based off of kind of this love for walking that I was sharing with you is we started a travel retreat company that is called Ripple Out Retreats, and our, the website for that is rippleoutretreats.com. And this year, our, our first two retreats, we're doing one in Yosemite. We're going to do a backpacking trip through the Yosemite wilderness, and then we're doing one later in the fall in France and Spain. We're going to walk across the Pyrenees Mountains on the Camino de Santiago for the group. And we're blending basically uh, mindfulness and mi mindfulness practices with, I, I used to be a part of a business where we created a community and facilitated basically meaningful conversations with people around life and business. So we're bringing in mindfulness aspects. We're also bringing in uh, aspects of that around facil facilitating meaningful conversations. And then we're bringing in the, my love of walking and, and, and walking in the mountains and travel and we're kind of packaging it as these 10-day trips with the idea that, you know, like, like the name of the company says, Ripple Out, that maybe that's enough to make a change that can ripple out into all areas of your life and beyond into other people's lives as well. I'm pretty optimistic, or I should say, about, or bullish about the idea of travel and 10 days away, disconnected, with a small group of curious people I'm very optimistic that that can spark real changes that can last you know, a lifetime or take you in a very different direction. I totally agree with you. And actually, uh, probably you know this, but now I'm going to make my own plug so that you start using it. But, you know, I created a hashtag time to reconnect movement mm. that I've started to use, especially on my work emails. Like I just was recently on vacation and I wrote a very different out of the office alert in which I said, you know what, now is my time to reconnect with my family and friends. And so don't expect a reply from me and making it, you know, it was hard because I'm always very available to my customers and they know they can call me on my phone. And that's mm -hmm. really one of our differentiators. I always tell my customers, I always answer the call even after I got the purchase order. And I think that has been something that has set us apart. But then he has the problem that when you're on vacation, <laughs> they have that expectation too. And uh, so I'm taking a stand and I think I, I'm with you. I'm very bullish as well that people are realizing that we need to set boundaries and take time to get to know each other again and, and ourselves. And so I, I'm very excited about your retreats. We definitely will do it. If I didn't have two little ones, I told Julie <laughs> Roxanne this, I would be already on the first one in July. And Josemite, I mean, that sounds like such an exciting trip. So the website for the retreats will be on the show notes for anybody out there that's interested in there, in that. And, you know, you mentioned your blog. And as we are approaching the end, I think one of the things that I read from what you've written, and I invite anybody that wants to get that inspiration, those nuggets of wisdom from someone that I think has mindfulness, definitely figure out. I loved when you said, and this I quote from one of your um, blog posts is, I've gotten a lot better at waiting. Watching the trees outside my window helps. They don't fight the wind that blows their limbs bare. They don't cling to the leaves they've lost. They don't hide their nakedness or run from the frost. They wait patiently for spring to arrive. Mm. That's that's just beautiful. And, and you basically go on and say that you, you're learning to do the same and that you are creating simple habits to stay grounded. And 
That's powerful. That's good writing. Congratulations. Thank you, Atisha. That's really kind of you to say. No, it's true because it does hit us. You know, when you read something someone else writes, at least to me, and it strikes a chord, then I think that we all need to wait, you know, more. We are so used to immediate gratification and immediate reward that we forget that things take time and the journey is long, hopefully. And so the fact that we don't get the immediate results we want right away doesn't mean we need to surrender or we need to get down. We just need to do it as a set Godin says, drip by drip. I don't know how many times I've said this, but it's becoming my personal mantra. It's drip by drip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think waiting opens us up to listening to the wisdom of the body and also listening to the wisdom around us in nature. I think especially... You know, you're going to laugh a little bit in my younger life, but in my earlier 20s. Uh, yeah, in my younger. <laughs> yes. I, I like to pretend I, I'm older than I am sometimes. So, but you definitely, you definitely have wisdom of an older person, I think. <laughs> it took me years to even get close, and I'm not even close, and I'm way older than you are. So. <laughs> but I, I think in my younger life, it was do, 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 and I didn't stop very much. And I, I think I was scared of stopping because I might hear the truth a little bit more and I think I was trying to hide from that a lot and I think you know that quote that you shared kind of embodies a lot of the change that's happened I would say over the last five years is learning how to stop and kind of listen to myself and, and not try to change what is but just to listen and understand what what's already there and I think that's set my life in such a different direction and it's been such a tremendous change for good in my life and it's been really powerful for me and uh, I try to impart that toward people I meet and it's it's part of the work that I do is to try to uh, help people become more aware of themselves and what what they already know and what's already there. Well, and I can tell you're already way on your way and I think you guys are doing a fantastic job. And uh, just to end, I think it's clear for me and probably to our listeners, but I have to ask it because it wouldn't be back to basics. Do you want to add anything to what makes you tick? Yeah, I do, actually. I was thinking about that question a bit earlier. And, you know, I think one thing that, that makes me tick that's like a bit more meta with all these things that we've talked about is getting lost. I love to get lost, whether it be through travel or through reading or through new business or whatnot. I really enjoy the process of exploring, getting lost for a little while, losing myself for a little while, and then finding myself and, and coming back to, to what I know. That process in all its many forms really drives me. I have a lot of fun with it. Wow, that's going to be high on the ranks of best answers on what makes you tick. I have to give you that one. <laughs> oh, thank you, Letitia. That was great. I feel that this is a mini coaching session with you. So I'm sure that, that probably you get a few customers out of this and uh, they should because you spread great wisdom. With that said, I want to wish you a very, very happy marriage. You're getting married next week. Enjoy the experience. It's also right. I don't know if this is the first time for you, but... Uh, it's an exciting journey. So I wish it's you It's the first time and, and I hope it's the only time. I hope so too. Brace <laughs> yourself <laughs> for impact. 
<laughs> no, it's, yes. I think it's really a truly unique experience and you found a very special person to share it with. So I wish you all the best. And I thank you for taking the time in such a critical week before your wedding to talk to me and to make this episode. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Letitia. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Best of luck. And until the next time. <laughs> <laughs>